Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 150 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes. What? Wow. I know. That's such a I nice know. round number. So satisfying. We are, of course, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I am, of course, Mitch Bain, a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andrew Stewart. Going for the Sunday name because it's a special occasion? Uh, it's Sunday. It's also Sunday, yeah, for date stamp purposes, 11.30, roughly. Um, so, 150 Minisodes. Wow, yeah. And a year ago to the day since we uh, did our live 100th main episode. Holy shit. So there you go. Um, a big day of anniversaries and milestones. But away from all that, how are you? I'm okay, man. I'm okay. I'm muddling on, muddling on. Uh, yeah, nothing massively major to report, really. You? Much and such the same, to be honest. Um, I spent a lot of weekday evenings this week recording one thing or another. So I haven't watched very much stuff, but I've watched some things. However... You've been texting me a lot this week, and you seem to have been watching a decent amount. Yeah, I've watched a load of stuff. Um, I've kind of spread it out a little bit, I think, just in case I don't get around to watching anything next week. There is uh, no shame in stockpiling yeah, at all. Yeah, so I'll touch on a couple of things that I watched this week. Both of them um, I watched as part of my very brief seven-day Now TV trial, which is still ongoing. I've still got a couple of days there, because I know... Over the past little while, you've been talking about things that you watched that maybe were on Now TV, and that wasn't really a resource that I had access to. So I've kind of got myself a trial, and I'm going to try and fill my eyes with as much stuff as I can over yep, the next... Up. I've only got a couple of days left, so my plan is to watch as much as humanly possible in those couple of days. Okay, so what uh, delights have you been sampling so far? Well, I'm going to start with Unhinged. Now, we mentioned this on the streaming platforms last week. Uh, Russell Crowe? Yeah, Russell Crowe. Uh, Jimmy Simpson's in here as well. Uh, okay. This is a it's kind of weird one. It's basically Russell Crowe flips out and has this road rage incident with this woman at the traffic lights. And he basically makes it his mission to absolutely destroy her. Uh, over the course of one day, like, he kills a whole bunch of people who are, like, really close to her. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, it's uh, it's far more gory and in your face than I thought it was going to be. Like, it's it's, it's pretty rough. Like, Russell Crowe's pretty terrifying in it. I think because he's, I think he's got a kind of air of being quite a tough guy anyway. Yeah. But uh, in this, like, because he's older and he's bigger and he's, like, got shit ton of weight on him at the moment he uh, just looks like an absolute monster in this and behaves like one it's uh, he's quite scary in it yeah that's kind of interesting to me because the synopsis that we read last week made this sound like it was going to be like this very contained kind of like road rage thriller i was kind of thinking it was going to be like something more in the vein of like roadkill or something like that as opposed to it being quite as broad ranging as you're saying yeah it's uh it's kind of dotted across a whole city over the course of one day and he's hunting her down and like attacking her brother attacking her friends just arbitrarily killing people that just happen to get in his way <laughs> i quite enjoy this it's, it's quite trashy but it's just like a daft kind of i don't know i had kind of fallen downy vibes from it 
Okay. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty trashy, quite violent at points. I, I quite liked it. Cool. Okay. Um, and that's on Sky Cinema and Now TV now. It is, yeah. Also on Now TV, unsurprisingly, I checked out Uncle Peckerhead. Now, um, this is one that I have kind of like hovered over a uh-huh. couple of times, and I feel like I have made a mistake by selecting various other, I suspect, inferior films. Like, I almost watched this the morning that I watched Death of Me and stuff like that. Mm, I really like this. Uh, so what we have here is it's a kind of three-person band called Duh. Uh, they're on a, they're going out on their first kind of small tour, and they pick up this guy called Peckerhead and take him on the road with them as their kind of roadie slash van driver. Okay. And what they find pretty quickly is that every midnight, uh, for I think it's like 17 or 13 minutes or something, Peckerhead turns into this uh, kind of monster thing. Right. <laughs> kinda, it looks okay. a bit vampiric, also looks a bit zombie-esque. It's never really explained what he is, really. But that's the kind of vibe that we're, we're, we're talking about here when you, you kind of think of Peckerhead. I thought this was quite funny. I thought it was quite charming. Uh, I thought it was very silly. And at t- the, the gore at times is off the charts, over the top. And uh, yeah, I just, I just really liked it. I thought it was absolute bags of fun. Excellent. Okay. Um, sounds like a successful week all in. Yeah, not bad, not bad. It got a bit less successful when I dipped into nature. Okay, okay, um, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, but certainly the, those couple of things that I'm going to mention today were pretty decent. I have to say, though, I haven't got around to watching Creepshow yet. I've got you covered on that. That's one of the two things that I've got to talk about. Okay. So um, the Creepshow finale was uh, this week, Series 2. So it, it's the usual format of uh, two 20-minute-ish segments and went for one long one. I don't think that a series finale is a good enough reason necessarily to ditch the format. I like the kind of I like the episodic thing. Yeah, I think to me that's kind of fun and punchy. I think it's risky in this format to double up that runtime to one story. Uh, how does it How does it work? Well, what you have here with Night of the Living Late Show is uh, so Justin Long uh, right. is the lead in this. And we do also have uh, Darcy Carden in here as well, who is uh, best known for uh, being in The Good Place. Okay. Um, So in this uh, segment, or this episode, I guess, Justin Long plays this guy who has for years been obsessively uh, building this virtual reality machine that um, allows him to kind of join in on his favorite films. Okay. Uh, Now, what I will say is that this opens... Like the kind of like the actual opening of the episode before we get into the story is a VR Night of the Living Dead thing. Okay. Where like the creep, the kind of cartoon creep, not the digital one that you don't like, but the cartoon one you sometimes get at the start, puts on a VR headset and you get this like VR thing of the opening of Night of the Living Dead. Okay, okay. I kind of wish that the episode had been more in that vein, to be honest, because I thought that that was quite fun. Right. The effects and the CGI are janky, but it kind of feels like it's designed to be that way. And it's kind of a fun interlude, but basically it's kind of, so it's obviously, it's loosely thematic because this opens with Justin Long being like, wake up, honey, it's finally working. And he takes his wife through and shows her this machine. So he's like, oh, I can go into my favorite films now. But then he basically says something about the fact that people can use it as an escape from their like dull humdrum lives. And you Mm -hmm. can see that uh, his wife, Darcy Carden's character, she is obviously like, kind of like a bit like, "Mm, why did you make this? Because, and then she starts to think that that their marriage is on the rocks, which it probably is. (laughs) Um, So the next thing we see is Justin Long going into his favorite film and interacting with the environment. Now, what I think is weird about this is that this feels very much, and I could be wrong here, this is complete speculation on my part, but I 
think that this reads a lot like the idea was there and then this was written around whichever film they could use okay and this might be like the cynic in me because the film that he goes in and interacts with for the most part of this is horror express right okay as in horror express the one we spoke about last week Yes, Horror Express that just got added to Shudder as a catalogue title. Okay, right. <laughs> now, this, this, this isn't not fun. Um, it, like, because, you know, I, I don't really feel like there's any real call for me to see Horror Express anymore. <laughs> but, like, but watching this was, is, is fine in the moment. Um, but I just remember thinking, I was just like, this, is, like, this episode would have worked so much better if it had been Night of the Living Dead. Or if it had been a more kind of like a kind of more prestige title. Now I'm not saying like obviously you know you do what you can with what's in front of you. Sure. But I think that like this because this is quite a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think that what would have been cool would have been if there had been some consequences in the real world. Like I don't know, maybe he like maybe he had like messed around with it so much that the film became terrible and it ended Peter Cushing's career. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that kind of thing I maybe would have liked to have seen. Basically. This is okay. It's like a little flat. It doesn't really... I think that, like, you know, I think that going for the longer runtime episode or segment, should I say, and going for this quite high concept thing feels like this kind of attempt to do this kind of grandiose finale. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely commend the ambition of that. I'm not certain that it entirely works. But I would say that we're now at the end of Creepso Series 2 and it's not been perfect. But what I would say is it is a considerable improvement on the first one. I will definitely keep on watching if there's more of it. Um, I think I don't know if I don't know if it's the people involved or what that has kind of like perked this up, but it feels way more in the spirit of the films. And generally, this functions far better as a kind of like addendum or postscript to that franchise than the first series ever did. Right. Okay. Cool. Good. Only one other thing for me uh, this week, then, and it was just something that I just watched yesterday, actually. And uh, this this has been one that I've been trying to seek out for quite a while. Right. So back around the time of the Evil Dead reboot and the peak popularity of the sitcom Suburgatory, I um, became a fan of Jane Levy. Yeah. Okay. She's great. She is really good. Yeah, and she's and she's been in a lot of really good stuff. Um, but in my kind of like just roaming through her catalogue and seeing what there was to watch, I came across a film called Bang Bang Baby, which wasn't out at the time. Right. What's this? So this is um, it was a selection. At- TIFF in 2014 and got some award nominations in Canada and that basically seems to be about the scope of this right um but it's something I've been looking for for a while it's um it's like a it's a 60s set like sci-fi musical okay um starring Jane Levy Justin Chatwin and Peter Stromer all right okay and it just so happens so periodically this just comes back into my head and I just kind of like because, because you know, I, I like I didn't I didn't want to pirate it. I wanted to see if I could get it by legitimate means, as tends to be my default setting with these things. Sure. Um. So I just I just every now and again I just look in on the streaming platforms and VOD stuff and see if it's there. And it just so happens that on last time I look in, it had finally arrived. Okay. So this is a film that's been kind of like dotting around on my radar for the better part of seven years now. Um. So it's directed by um Jeffrey St. Jules. And it is like very heavily indebted to sci-fi B movies. It's like um, a, like in kind of the same way as the Vasta Night was, but this turns the kind of quirkiness of that up quite a bit. Okay. So basically, what you have here is Jane Levy's character Steffi, who is this kind of like small town teenage girl who is a, like an aspiring pop singer, and uh, she and she gets her kind of like chance at stardom when she gets invited to participate in this reality show called American Ingenue. Right. And her dad basically kind of like 
forbids her from going he's ill she's looking after him stuff like that so her dreams are kind of dashed until um like an elvis type character called bobby shaw who's placed who's played by justin chatwin turns up and in their small town his car breaks down um and this all gets reignited and it plays very much like a kind of like him discovering her and talking about what's going to happen when they get out of this when they kind of like blow this lemon stand of a town kind of thing you know so where this kind of becomes a little bit more surrealist and a little bit more kind of lynchian is that there is also at the same time, and I love this, just you know, just like a kind of nonsense plot contrivance. Mm-hmm. There is a leak at the Purple Mist factory, right? In this, um, uh, which which means for one thing that the town spends a lot of its like the town that this is set in, like a lot of the film kind of like has this town doused in purple mist, and it looks really cool and kind of dreamlike. In a kind of like fun, low budget kind of way, but basically, uh, this love story slash you and me are gonna go all the way, baby, kind of thing, uh, mm-hmm. gets shot through with this weird thing where the purple mist is turning people into mutants, and it's got this kind of body horror strand running through it. All right. This is unsurprisingly a really fucking weird film, <laughs> um, which I think for about eighty minutes of its ninety minutes run runtime is really really satisfying. The momentum drops off really quite significantly for like a ten minute chunk towards the end. The momentum just dies on its arse. Ooh. It kind of circles back around and ends quite satisfyingly. But this is like it's a really really strange film. I think that the kind of B movie leanings of it are really charming. Everyone in it is great. Um, Justin Chatwin as this kind of like Bobby Shaw character is hilarious. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you see like his songs and his music videos and stuff like that, all that stuff is really, really funny and really good kind of send up to the music and the kind of crooners at the time. Um, This was really, really good. I thought it was nice to finally get my hands on it. Sure. But it was that thing where it's like, well, you know, if you wait seven years for anything, the chances are that it won't be as good as you want it to be. Would you say that was the case? Um, I would say probably narrowly, yeah. I would say that there was there was kind of like a level of like expectations that it could never quite live up to, I would say. But it is really good. And I think that if you were just happening on it, like hopefully some people will now, I think that people would really take to it. So that's Bang Bang Baby. If you like it, it's Amazon Videos where I got it. Presumably it's available elsewhere as well. So you did mention that uh, things didn't go quite so well on Nature Gone Wild this week. Uh, Want to tell me more? Yeah, I went on Amazon Prime and watched Snake Island. Snake Island, eh? Yes. Uh, so this is about a bunch of tourists uh, it's all the same like, the, the kind of setup's always the same for these it's one of two things it's a bunch of tourists that accidentally bumble onto something or <laughs> hey, right. it is some kind of research vessel crashes in a small town and sets it loose like, that is the, the only two setups for these fucking films um, yeah, sure. in this case it's the former for Snake Island this group of tourists uh, they're going down this river in Africa and they decide that they're going to stop at Snake Island. What could go wrong, yeah? Yeah, well, they get trapped and then they all seem completely stunned that they're besieged by thousands of snakes. <laughs> okay. I, I can tell you right now, this, this isn't good. No. I had a feeling, you know. It's just not. Still not the worst, but it's it's not great. Um, I'm not going to say too much more than that because I don't think I need to really because it's getting to a point now where these things are all much of a muchness. Yeah, I would say that's true. I think that um, it sounds like a lot of the time, unless something is particularly good or particularly bad, it does seem like it's um, a group of hapless people who stumble on something and then just battle with it for a bit. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I'm, I'm still looking for... I mean, and sometimes the, like, the synopsis seems a bit more interesting, so I go, this looks dumb, I'll watch this. 
and then it is that exact thing again i'm looking for something more interesting than that like it could still be shite it could still be dumb uh, it could still have terrible cg in it but i don't know i just feel like i need a better setup now just in search of a little bit more bang for your naturey buck yeah exactly that exactly that okay okay Andy has mentioned, of course, that the Nature Gone Wild side quest is nearing its end. If you have anything that you desperately wanted to cover, you know how to get in touch. Yeah, and if you get in touch and it's something that I'm happy to cover, then I'll go into it in more detail because you've actually taken the time to reach out to me. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. I think that that's fair. Yeah. So, what have they been saying now? Mitch, I just want to quickly say one thing myself to you. A ghost waits is out. A ghost waits is out, yes, it's in the world. It is. I just wanted to say from me to you, a hearty congratulations, my friend. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah, it's been nice to see people sharing uh, pictures and stuff of their Blu-rays arriving. Yeah, um, I've got mine. Yes, yeah, you were one of those people. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's really nice. Um, it should be a little more available than it was now. You can buy it in shops. Mm-hmm. You can still get it on the player. You can buy it digitally on Amazon Video and other VOD platforms, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, yeah, from today. Yeah, well done, man. It's it's amazing to see you having done that. And to, to have that in your hand must just be amazing. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, to the feedback for this week, and a big thank you to everybody that's been getting in touch. Unsurprisingly, the bulk of it consumed by Terror Vision, our listener's choice episode uh, for mm. this, well, for this time. I think we've talked about the fact we're going to do this a little more often. Yes, yes. Big thank you specifically then to Chris Skelp and Feebunny, who both said that Terravision was kind of their top choice for this. It's a great choice. Knowing what I know now, I can confirm that. Feebunny got in touch, uh, or she tweeted um, uh, around this week when she was checking back in with the film before it. She said, I've been very lucky and was picked for Listener's Choice over on Strong Violent PC this week. Thanks so much again, guys. So naturally, I'm getting in a cheeky little rewatch and an asai before the episode tomorrow. Can't wait to hear you guys' thoughts. And she basically just posted a picture of her settling in for television with a beer. Yeah, that's the best way to watch it. I would be inclined to agree with that, I would say. Um, the general kind of like uh, vibe for this was that people were pretty excited about the fact that we were covering it. I want to say a quick hello to Dennis Extra Atherton. Oh, wow. Hi, Dennis. Yeah. Getting in touch on Facebook. I love that you hear from me, Dennis. Uh, really glad to hear that you're still out there and you're still with us. Uh, simply just saying, oh shit, I love this movie. This will be fun. Uh, Dennis, hope the episode met your expectations. Yeah. A lot of Bynan got in touch saying, great 80s memories coming back listening to this. It's a real cartoon of a film. Yep, it absolutely is. Entirely intentionally. Yeah, we kind of uh, lob that terminology around on the episode. Uh, yeah. I think that everything about that does feel kind of deliberately caricature in that way. Also want to say hello to Sarah Eisel, who uh, got in touch on Facebook saying, is it weird that I think of this episode like a Marvel DC crossover event? <laughs> or, pardon my epic level of geekdom, like an NCIS slash NCIS Los Angeles crossover special. Oh, wow. <laughs> Becky Dark could be NCIS New Orleans. Now you just need Stevie Webb as NCIS Hawaii to complete the Dream Warriors. Oh. Rereading that, I'm 100% sure that I am weird. Not really a shocker. Also, even I am a little gobsmacked by the image created by my mixed and extended metaphors. <laughs> Perhaps inhaling old book glue while repairing library books is more dangerous than I thought. Um, it's a hell of a theory, uh, Sarah, and to your point about uh, the Dream Warriors lineup, I would possibly just direct your attention to the end of this episode. <laughs> yes, uh, Stephen Wales getting in touch to say, managed to get this watched on Thursday and had just got the tune out of my head when I listened to the episode. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot. 
did really enjoy your chat with Mike on this. Thumbs up. Uh, yeah, that theme tune to this is just superb. Um, yeah, Keen O'Brien actually weighing in with some thoughts on that, saying, what I love about the television theme song is that it sounds like a Kate Bush heard some music from a NES game and wanted to write a song over it. We couldn't come up with any lyrics, so she drew from the last movie she happened to watch on TV. It's high art. <laughs> It's a great. It's actually a great song. Like it's an absolute banger. Yeah, and those those were the exact terms that we were lobbing around. Banger. Sure. Saltard popcorn. Kevin getting in touch to say, great description of the monster, and I loved the chat about a film I have loved ever since being confused by it during my first viewing in my teen years, expecting something horror when it was a delightfully odd horror comedy in a stylistically chosen artificial presentation. Yeah, that's uh, that, uh, to me that's one of the really interesting things about this is that it kind of forgoes your standard kind of filmmaking style and literally, like we've just said a second ago, just kind of lifts this hyper-realistic thing out right out of a comic book and just drops it right onto your screen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that kind of, like I say, the hyper-reality of it was something that really um, was a big kind of box tick for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with this one, you got anything else on television? I don't actually, no, sadly. Uh, okay, nor do I. So uh, moving on very quickly then, I've just got the one more thing in a kind of like in a miscellaneous kind of bracket. Want to say hello to Horror Wales at Oswood Kimru on Twitter. Getting in touch, talking about Train to Busan Peninsula. Oh, yeah. Uh, saying I really enjoyed the first one on first watch, less so on second, to be honest, which is interesting. I've never rewatched Train to Busan since I saw it at the festivals, and I loved it so much at the festivals that I didn't even entertain the possibility that me loving it so much might be a shade of festival hysteria, and now I'm curious about that fact. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I actually revisited Train to Busan relatively recently, um, and I still haven't actually got round to finishing Peninsula, but some of the comments I've seen, I'll be honest, aren't making me rush to finish it. Well... Uh, the second part of this tweet is actually, uh, as for the sequel, it forgets what made the first one work and relies too much on CGI, which I think both of those things are true. I could feel that coming, even from the small amount that I watched. Uh, yeah, for better or worse, it is very much its own beast. Yeah. I've got a couple of things left here. Dan okay. Topomatic got in touch. I wasn't the only person to say this off the back of last week's minisode, so massive thanks to Dan and everyone else who kind of echoed this sentiment. Although I don't know why I'm saying thanks, because it's you guys really that deserve the, 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 the applause here. The pitches this week on the strong, violent PC minisode were next level. Well done, everyone. Last week was vintage, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yep, some Hall of Famers in there for sure. I'm an absolute banner week. If you have anything else, by all means, bring it home. I do. <laughs> Scared sheepless. Caitlin got in touch to say, a Dane Bowers kill list reference just dropped in mid-conversation is one of the many reasons I love the strong, violent PC, because any time I'm reminded of that fiasco is a good time. Yep. For anyone who doesn't know, there was a while when Ben Wheatley's kill list came out where Dane Bowers from another level got really annoyed by kill list. I, I just, uh, I, I can tell you he wasn't a fan. I was quite vocal about it on Twitter, and it was quite funny. It was really funny, and um, I mentioned that very, very flippantly um, on the episode last week, and a couple of people actually got back in touch and spotted it, so well done to all of you. Keen ears, the lot of you. Yep, and Dane, I hope you're doing all right. Yeah, probably not falling over himself to watch the Meg 2. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Same. So, yeah. It is once again time then for Mitch's Pitches, which is a feature on the show, which is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. It will fall to me to describe it to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. So wow. last week we had a muck train. We did, yeah, yeah. Beyond the Door 3. 
beyond the door three are reappropriated by me as hector's last ride the caboose is loose so loads of people getting in touch this week cp buckley first on instagram when kind-hearted but dim-witted teen sammy nevermore joins a course to become a train driver he gets paired with herman haricot a semi-retired train driver who's lost his passion for the job and has started dabbling in the occult sure when Herman tries to perform a spell to grant Sammy the knowledge to drive the train and make his job easier, the spell goes wrong and it makes the train drive itself. It also imbues the train with Herman's hatred for his job and for people in general. Now Sammy must try to control a train that has gone off the rails and maybe also make Herman see the worth in humanity again. It's Linguini Fettuccini's first English sure. language feature, 1983's Training Day. Expect heavy delays and death this Halloween. Oh, okay. I would watch the shit out of that. I think as an actual story, I really love that, I must say. <laughs> Uh, James Plum, 1987's Motorhead, the motion picture. Lovely, yep. Scott Cairns, Thomas the Vamp Engine, when the little engine that could turns bad, the fat controller's claret will squirt. Oh, lovely. Uh, Mark Davies, enter the mellifluous maleficence of the Stygian nothingness. <laughs> Whilst Thomas is possessed by the demonic influence of Allman the Demon, Lord of the Void, he becomes obsessed with traversing the tracks of the infamous Devil's Lane to Station 666. If only Ivor the Engine, the newly hired ex-cop conductor, can find the nefarious cultists on board and stop their evil leader in time in The Fat Controller, privatisation pissed him off. <laughs> uh, James Rodriguez, all his life Bartleby Q. Bones, has wanted to own his very own train. And when he comes across an abandoned one, he's gleeful that he can afford it. Sinking his money into this proves risky as constant delays, overcrowding and rising prices has put people off taking trains. In a desperate attempt to not go bust, he turns his train into a CD venture where patrons can engage in whatever sexual depravity they fancy. But while the customers are chugga-chugging on some cock, they're, <laughs> they're being offed one by one. Jesus. As it becomes an express line to death, Bartleby discovers why he could afford this train as it's haunted by the spirit of a serial killer. Strap in for some 70s exploitation where your stack won't be the only thing getting blown. It's Thomas the Wank Engine, hell on wheels. Jesus Christ. I know, James. Chloe Bessley, Starlight Express 2, Rusty really does go crazy. Right, okay. Barry Delgarno, Thomas the Dank Engine. Sure. Kevin Matthews, crossing everyone's favourite killer, Simeon, with a massive flesh-popping machinery and metal. It's train trachma. <laughs> Wait until you see how angry doors make it. <laughs> uh, Michael Park and uh, the train that was also a tunnel. Right. And to wrap up, Chris Salt. Bankrolled by keen railway enthusiast and soon-to-be hitmaker Pete Waterman, this eerie 80s historical horror takes us back to the fascinating time in the late 60s when the publication of the scathing beaching reports led British Rail to withdraw the last steam engines from service and switch fully to diesel. Wow. Penned by Waterman himself, the story sees handsome signalman Walt Peterman dealing with the terrible news. <laughs> Devastated that his beloved steam engines are destined for history's scrap heap, he heads to Railway HQ for a showdown with the bigwigs. He just wants to tell them how he's feeling, to make them understand. I see what he's doing. Steam yeah. trains are part of the nation's heritage, and this is cultural vandalism. In his imagination, there is no complication. <laughs> but the pencil pushers and bean counters there see things differently. They know the rules, and so does he. The future is diesel. Filled with despair, he takes the only course of action left open to him and chains himself to the tracks in protest. It's a crazy situation, and it's only made crazier when he's hit by a runaway engine and smushed into jam. Man jam. <laughs> Still furious about the general injustice of both the steam thing and his ignominious death, his restless spirit becomes entangled in the engine's workings and he finds that he can control it and make it do his vengeful bidding. It's not long before the bodies start piling up and the fat cats running the railways are running scared. 
If you've had the chance to experience the full extent of this trackside terror, as Waterman himself pulled it from general release once his music career took off. However, many believe he revisited several of its key themes and concepts during the Hit Factory years. Be that as it may, here's 1982's Local Commotion, Never Gonna Give Choo Choo Up. Wow, that was long. That was long, it was good though. Worth it, absolutely worth it. Um, And purely for effort, I'm going to give the clean sweep to Chris. So, uh, Walt Peterman. Walt Peterman. And uh, local commotion. Yes, yes. A hefty yes, doubler for Chris Saul. Been a while since somebody swept the board, so big well done to Chris. Yeah, well done, Chris. Now, uh, I guess I was going to say it's my turn, but we did say uh, one Andy's pitch per month. Oh, right, okay. Right, right. Um, so I think that that's probably come round again. So uh, how would you feel about that? I'm prepared. Okay, cool. Uh, one should be on its way to you right now. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Oh, right. There's a fair amount going on here. I would have um, said so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, white border, Mitch. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, where to begin? Uh, the background is a kind of bluey, blackish kind of night sky almost. There's some uh, kind of thunderclouds rolling in uh, across the kind of centre of the image. There's also what looks like a kind of red checkerboard, like a floor, uh, sure. in the kind, of, the kind of middle of the image. That has been propped up by two green ghostly giant hands. And mm-hmm. um, the actual image itself we have what looks like a large kind of statue of like a golem or a monkey or something like that we have Mm -hmm. an assortment of what also looks like kind of monkeys and pith helmets (laughs) it does seem that way um a kind of horned demon sits on his throne in the middle of the image a man in a i don't even know what that would be called that that garment there like a like a like a vest type thing and he looks handsome he looks uh, like a bit of a cad he has kind of black leather knee-high boots on and a shiny wristband gauntlet thing um on the right hand side of the image a woman is chained to a rock while what appears to be an evil magician summons lightning from the sky <laughs> yeah yeah uh, there's a castle in the background and this is all overseen by a giant face that looks very much like a well-known actor who i am going to use in the pitch <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 You do your best so, with what's in front of you. A giant cloud monster man holds up some red squares with various things on it: statues, uh, magicians, chained up women, pith helmet monkeys. A sort of chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a busy image, man. It certainly is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of, I kind of went against your general ethos of keeping it a little simpler. Yeah. Well, it's what. Good, so, a moment? Yeah, please. Kind of nice and kind of sad to see that the disco surrounding pretzel pieces has died off since our request. Yeah, we have kind of fallen into a dignified silence about that, and I do feel like that's probably how it should remain. Yeah. Yeah, Mitch, I'm just thinking, we should get together now, I think we're allowed. Ooh. Yeah, we could do garden things now. Yeah, yeah, we could meet up and have a, a beer in the garden or a, a tea. That sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah Very let's, we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that once we're done here. But I I think I have a pitch here. Dumb as fuck. That's okay. That's uh, that's fine. Mine tend to err on the side of whimsy as well, so that's okay. Okay. Uh, all right, I'm ready. When intergalactic smuggler Aramis Contraband crash lands on the ancient planet of Kuros, he finds it in disarray. 
The people are enslaved and starving, their old spice mines destroyed. An heir to the throne, Princess Anais Anais, captured by sinister sorcerer Drakar Noir, who plans on marrying her and winning the throne for himself. Can contraband battle his way through the mysteries within the Castle of Illusions using his own brand of high karate to save the princess from Noir and his brutes? Jim Carrey stars as Drakkar Noir in 1996 space spoof Contraband, Pirate Man in a Strange Land. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. That's great. Uh, I couldn't think of any more like oldie times aftershaves and perfumes that I could get in there. No, but I think that like you did pretty well um, yeah. under the circumstances. Which year did you go for there? Uh, 96, only because I was thinking, when was Jim Carrey like, really quite big? Yeah, at his peak, when, he, when, when his face would be that size on a poster. 100%, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, you are, of course, uh, swinging a little bit wide there, which I'm sure doesn't come as a surprise. We're in 1984. Right, okay. Uh, here for uh, Rage War, also known as, and better known as, the Dungeon Master. I'm actually surprised that is a poster from 1984. I would agree, actually, yeah. Um, it doesn't look very much of that time, does it? No, it has a feeling of a kind of 70s poster to me, like a kind of early 70s B-movie poster. Yeah, I would say that that sounds about right. Um, so, synopsis then, I believe someone that we've had before. Right, okay, I'm going to need a synopsis for this, because I don't know anything about this. Okay, it appears to be an Empire Pictures film. Oh, right, okay. But yeah, this is coming from uh, Jean-Marc Rocher. Ah, yes, there's Ambassador, yes. Yes, um, a, a, a frequent a frequent pitcher, uh, who was also bold enough to put his email address in his IMDB handle. Different that happens a lot, day. that happens a lot. Paul, a computer whiz who spends more time with his machine than with his girlfriend, finds that he's been chosen as a worthy opponent for Mestima, an evil wizard who has spent centuries searching for a challenging foe. After having his computer changed into a wristband weapon, Paul battles with a variety of monsters before finally coming face to face with the ultimate adversity. So, he has his computer changed into his wrist weapon? Like a combat Fitbit. Right. Yeah, I can't field any more questions about this because obviously I haven't seen it. Uh, if anyone has seen this, I'd be curious to know a little bit more, but especially if it's an Empire Pictures film because it's not one that I'm familiar with. It's certainly, um, it is from 1984 and I can also tell you that it's directed by David Allen and Charles, uh, Charles Band and written by Charles Band. All right, okay, fuck. Right. Um, so yeah, there you go. So that's uh, Rage War or the Dungeon Master. That image is, of course, everywhere as well. So get pitching. See if you can top this week's batch and see if you, like Chris, can win yourself some nothing. Good luck. Streaming platforms then, not a huge amount uh, this week in all honesty, but a couple of things that I think are probably worth a mention. First off then, heading to Amazon Prime and on Monday. So today we've got John Wick Chapter 2. Excellent. Uh, renowned assassin John Wick sets out for Rome to duel with some of the deadliest killers to fulfill a vow he made. However, he soon learns that there's a huge bounty on his head. Moving on to Netflix then, on Wednesday we have got a limited series The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness, a crime docuseries about a journalist looking at the murders linked to a satanic cult. On Thursday we have got And Tomorrow the Entire World, which is a German crime drama that sees a law student's political ideology pushed to the limit when she joins an anti-fascist group and is sucked into increasingly dangerous and violent situations. <laughs> okay. Um, Sky Cinema, nothing major this week, but if you're in the market for a sci-fi mindbender, Chris Nolan's Tenet is here. Mm, nah. Yeah, I also can't be arsed with this, I don't think. Two and a half hours no. feels a bit long for a film that so many people seem to be ambivalent about. Maybe someday, but if you want to check this out, 
It is available from Friday. A secret agent is given a single word as his weapon, which is just about as useless as a combat Fitbit, and mm. sent to prevent the onset of World War Three. He must travel through time and bend the laws of nature in order to be successful in his mission. I can't be bothered with this. And to be honest, if I want a word to use as a weapon, I want one that has an onomatopoeic quality to it. Like, I want pop, bang, stab. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't want tenet. Like, that's rubbish. Zork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, Shudder then. A uh, couple of catalogue titles dropping today. Witchfinder General from 1968. Oh, amazing. Yes. Yes, brilliant. Of- the Serpent Tale of Evil set during the English Civil War where Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder General, is empowered to travel the country with his henchmen and collect a fee for each witch from whom he extracts a confession. Also, 1971's Blood on Satan's Claw. Oh, I've got to say right now that those are two of the best folk horror films ever, ever made. And for them both to be dropping in the same week is an absolute treat. Treat yourself and watch both of them. Shudder clearing up on catalogue titles right now. When a mysterious corpse is accidentally dug up by a boy in a small town, a group of local teens start acting very strangely. That's fucking amazing. And also dropping at the end of the week, we have got Ryan Kruger's Fried Body. Oh, yeah. A drug-addled degenerate gets abducted by aliens and returns to Earth piloted by an extraterrestrial visitor. What follows is an onslaught of drugs, sex, and violence. This was a huge hit at the festivals. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it's amazing. Yeah, so uh, that's available from Friday. That's your lot from this week. Uh, you care to make a pick there? Ooh, I am going to have to put my money on Blood and Satan's Claw, please. I had a feeling you were going to, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's your lot for streaming platforms. A decent amount to be getting into there. Turn on the tensions then to this week's show. We have another guest. We do, we do, yeah. We, I think that we might actually have gotten to the point where... Um, we can do an Andy versus Mitch episode and know that we have another main episode lined up and ready. Yeah, I think we can. Uh, however, yeah. it's not an Andy versus Mitch episode this week. We are being joined this week by the host of the Brain Rot podcast. It's Stevie Webb. Yes, it's NCIS Hawaii. <laughs> I love it. Stevie Webb joining us. And what film he's chosen? Yeah, we're going back to 1994 for Brain Scan. So, this is not the most accessible on uh, like VOD platforms and stuff like that, but there is a version of it on YouTube that is of fairly excellent quality. Yeah, absolutely serviceable. Um, and if you're looking for kind of like an endorsement about that, it was the one that we all used when we watched it. Yeah. <laughs> it's good enough to talk about it afterwards. But yeah, Stevie Webb of the Brain Rot Podcast joins us this week. We are talking brain scan. If you want to get in touch and let us know what you think about that, then Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us at Strong Violent PC, email Scenes at gmail.com, or join the conversation on the Facebook group, The Chud Locker. And guys, patrons, we are coming back your way this week. Keep your eyes on the feeds. We'll be saying thank you to someone at the end of this show. We sure will. Some good stuff in coming this week, so keep your eyes out for that. However, we are back this Friday. We are talking Brain Scan with Stevie Webb. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads. Goodbye. Hey guys, just popping back on to say thanks to another patron, Simon Tardeville. Yeah, Simon Tardeville joining us this week on the Patreon train. Thanks so much, Simon. Thank you very much, Simon. You don't have to do that. It's immensely gratifying to us that you chose to give us some money. Thank you, thank you. A thousand times thank you. Patreon.com forward slash Strong Language Vengment Scenes if you feel like seeing of doing the same is for you. See you soon.
Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.